a lot of people ask me, why haven't you tried to work for Rock Nation or something like that? And I'm like, well, right now, I prefer ownership. I prefer to own everything that I have. So if it's going to take me five years to sign that big player while I build my agency, while I get trainers in-house, while I found that, find that accountant to do that in-house, people that I actually trust and that, you know, we're all coming up together for one goal, mm-hmm. then I'd rather do that than to build somebody else's dream because mm-hmm. this is ultimately my end goal, my dreams. You're listening to Stuck in the Middle podcast, a platform for entrepreneurs, innovators, and creatives of African descent. Hear stories, ideas, experiences, and advice on breaking barriers. This episode is brought to you by our online store. Visit sitmpodcast.com and shop Stuck in the Middle merch. We've also partnered with Perfect Office Solutions to bring you affordable, professional, and flexible private office spaces in seven locations in the DMV. Use promo code SITM Podcast to get 10% off your monthly lease. If you're looking for office space, hit up Perfect Office Solutions. Tell them Stuck in the Middle sent you and save some money on some perfect office space. Uh, we are blessed to be in the presence of a CEO, mm. a financial educator, mm. a sports agent, mm. a speaker. Mm. Listen, gentlemen, welcome Dominic Staple to the Stuck in Middle Podcast, Ooh. yo. I got to clap for myself. How you feeling? <laughs> I feel great. I feel really good You look today. good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. For those who don't know who Dominic Stapleton is, who is Dominic Stapleton? Dominic Stapleton is me. I am she. She is her. (laughs) (laughs) Pointing there. No, um, as you stated, I'm a financial educator and new sports agent. So all the athletes out there, basketball players, six three and above, um, look for me because I'm looking for you. Okay, small plug. Why you gotta be six three and above, bro? What's up? A slight discrimination, but it's it's kind of easier that way. You know, I'm already a female at a disadvantage. I'm not trying to take somebody five four in the league and like, look, you gotta give them a chance. Like, I prefer somebody. You know, where we could just start off on. even playing field so what what sports are you focusing on you know just being a new agent so um you focus on what you're licensed for so right now i'm licensed for nba um and i'm in the process of getting my WNBA and my fiba which is the international basketball league um license Mm. so within the next 30 to 60 days i should have all three so everything basketball that's what i'll be focusing on so you licensed right now i am i never know you are Official. Officially I licensed. Official. I never know that was a thing. Like I, I thought, you know what I'm saying? You just be like, I'm about to be a sports agent and just go out and do it. Well, it used to be like that for a while until a lot of the athletes started losing their money and getting scammed. And then the um, Players Association was like, okay, look, we have to have some guidelines towards this. And the test, um, the test that I took, this was the second or third year that you had to do it. Mm. So when I went to take the test, there was agents that have been agents for 10 or 15 years, but they let their certificate or their dues lapse, and then they had to take the test. I met a guy who said that he failed the test last year, even though he had been an agent for a long time previously, and he had to do the test all over again. So they're just kind of cracking down on things like that and making sure that everybody that says they're an agent and goes out here to um, represent an athlete has the knowledge and they can say we did a background check on you you haven't had any embezzlement charges before things of that nature okay so so you need some sort of formal education in order to take the exam yes um with the nba you have to have at least a bachelor's degree now with the nfl you have to have a master's um 
the hockey and the basketball, uh, hockey and baseball, I believe it's just a bachelor's. Mm. Yeah. That's a good segue to, you know what I'm saying, take it a little, just a little step back and get to know who Dominique Stepanit, Stepanit what's your story like? I know you, this probably isn't just something that you went to school for. This is like new. Where you no. from? What's your story? You know, so how'd you land here? Okay. Being a sports agent. So we'll take it all the way back to when I was three. <laughs> <laughs> no, we won't go that far back. Um, so basically in high school, I was the go-to person. Um, I hung with all the guys. They were all athletes. I went to Lackey High School. Woo-hoo, shout, shout out to Lackey. Out, shout, shout Charles out. County, we were very competitive um, when it came to sports. So a lot of my friends were football players, basketball players. Um, my senior year, I did stats. I was always a cheerleader. And I kind of just helped everybody through their career. I was the one that the coach would come to and say, if they keep getting in trouble, they're not going to be able to play anymore. You need to make sure that they're in line. Mm. And I always wanted to go into law. Um, so kind of my love for sports I was like okay all sports I can do it and then I realized that you had to be in school all your life and incur a lot of debt to be a lawyer so I was like let me find the fast way out of this Mm. and so came um agent but uh I went to school overseas for a few years in Trinidad which is where I'm from and then from then I came back um because I was kind of afraid that an international degree wouldn't um be as well respected and retrospect, now that sports are international. Are you from Trinidad? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. My mother's Trinidadian, my father's from so St. I thought you were just like, I'm going to go to school Trinidad. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> well, education over there is free if you're a citizen. So all you have to do is maintain good grades and you don't have to pay anything. So I paid $1,000 out of pocket. That included, like, books, um, whatever the little bit of tuition was, and exams for the entire school year, which was two semesters. So it was very cost-efficient um, versus... When I first got out of school, I went to Morgan, and I was on a payment plan, paying like a thousand dollars every two weeks. How'd you end up in Bowie? That you know, Charles. Yeah. So when I came back from Trinidad, um, Bowie was one of the only places that would take the international credits. I had to jump through hoops for it, but they took all of my credits at um, four four credits per class, versus everywhere else it was like two and a half, and you have to start over this. So I sent all my information in to all the different schools and Bowie was the one that was like, okay, you'll be here for maybe two years tops and mm. you can get out. And I was like, okay, five year degree, whatever. I can take that over. We don't count what you did. Mm-hmm. So there goes Bowie. So when you were, <clears throat> excuse me, when you were making the decision to become a certified sports agent, cause you actually received your degree in accounting, mm-hmm. kind of talk about um, your parents' influence on that. Like how did they perceive that, especially you know, being there, one of their children? Um, my parents are kind of like, do what makes you happy. Um, they, I'm the type of person where I call my parents, like when I made was going to make the move to Miami. I didn't even finish college yet. I was in my last semester at Bowie, and I got a phone call from, well, what happened was, uh, what was our <laughs> development class? We had that professional studies where we had to be in the auditorium, um, and our teacher, Mr. Moore. I sure I want detention. Cause Charles is a little. <laughs> no, detention. No, every um, every senior had to take it. Oh, I didn't have to take that. They must have changed that by the time I was done. Really? Yeah. Oh yeah, it was Mr. Moore, and he had a, a a class, and it was like professional development. Like we literally broke down how much money you would need to make as an adult coming straight out of school to live a comfortable life, and mm. then we talked about everything from sports to 
children and politics and the workplace. But it was a great um, course, and he was basically like, well, Dominique, you'll never get an accounting job in the DMV because at the time my hair was red, and he was like, you have red dreads. They're not going to mm-hmm. respect you. You're female. I, I think they're still red. Yeah, they're still red. <laughs> well, now my eyebrows are red, so it's like even worse. So I was like, well, Mr. Boy, I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to go to Miami to this career fair, and I bet I get a job. And he was like, good luck, baby. You better wear gray or blue. And I went down there, and I wore cream mm-hmm. um, the first day, and I wore black the second day. And that's how I got the job with the orange bowl. So I called my parents, and I'm like, Yo, Miami just called me. They said um, they need me to come down in two months to start a job where I'll be making like 20% of what I make right now. And my parents were 20% like... 20% less? Yeah. No, no, no. Like More? No. Like 20%, 20 total, total, total of what I was... Yeah. So I paid for school out of pocket. I was bartending. I was like making crazy money. Like mm-hmm. $1,000 a night crazy type of money. Paying for school, paying hey, for my apartment. Yeah. Bro, I'm about to get a license to bartending, bro. <laughs> yeah. And DC, it's... Cap season, it's, it gets crazy. But, um, and so moving to Miami with the position, I think I was making 1800 a month. So it was considerably less. My parents were kind of like, do what makes you happy. Like, let's work the numbers mm-hmm. out. Let's figure out the best place for you guys to live. So everything, they're kind of supportive, but it's a thought process throughout. It's like, did you think about it? What are the steps that you have to do to do this? What's the long term? What's the end goal? And once I can answer all those questions, my father's like, cool. My mom is a free spirit. So she's just like, go with God and have fun. So while in Miami, Stapling Success was born. Right. Well, mm-hmm. How was that story? And what is Stapling Success, first of all? So Stapling Success is my baby. It started out, um, I was doing financial education, personal financial um, coaching for uh, millennials and entrepreneurs. So it was based with uh, credit repair, bookkeeping, and then like debt management, things Mm -hmm. of that nature. What happened is all my friends are entrepreneurs. They all do hair, makeup, lashes. And I was like, I need a hustle. I'm only making $1,800 a month down here. I don't have time to bartend. I'm in an office all day. I need something that can bring me some income. And my friend sent me um, this company called FES. And so I was always like helping my friends with their credit and things like that. But FES was a platform where it was expedited. You had support. You had a team around you. And their company was already like BBB accredited. So I kind of signed up with them. And then they were like, well, you don't want to brand us. You want to brand yourself. Mm-hmm. And then came stapling success. And since I already had the accounting degree, the bookkeeping, the debt management, everything just kind of went hand in hand. So I used their platform and kind of branched off and um, built my company that way. What, how, how hard was it, you know what I'm saying, to get it from the ground up? Um, so I would say that at the beginning it was hard, but with the coaching around FES, it was they kind of birthed the entrepreneur in me. I always had it, but they kind of gave you the drive. Like, if, if you want a business, you need to be making 90 calls a day. You need to be emailing people back. You need to be posting on social media. All of those things I did not know prior. You know, they teach you in school how to build a business, how to do your business plan and X, Y, Z. But they don't tell you, like, what the hustle and what the grind really means. So starting out, FES was really um helpful and influential in me building my business. Now, when I branched off from them and I had to figure it out on my own, that's where, like, the difficulties <laughs> kind of, like, came in, you know? I'm like, oh, I'm not using their platform anymore. Things are not being expedited. If I have a customer um, complaint, I can't blame it on them. I can't say, oh, we'll call the head office. It's like, no, I'm the head office. I have to answer all these questions. I have to be accountable. So 
that was a bit of a, you know, learning, growing pains. Mm -hmm. Okay. Going through your social media, I see that you had the opportunity to meet Gary Vaynerchuk. Yes. One of my biggest idols. You met Gary V, Gary V? Yeah. <laughs> talk about that experience and what that meant um, with the startup of Stapling Success. So I met Gary V 2019 Super Bowl in Atlanta. That's um, last year. Last year, yeah. Wow, okay. So after I moved from Miami, my sister got a promotion in her business, and she's like, yo, can we move to Atlanta? And we, like, we moved together. So I was like, oh, Atlanta gets cold sometimes. She's like, let's do it. So we moved to Atlanta. Um, Atlanta's crazy for entrepreneurs. Super Bowl, fast forward, Super Bowl's in Atlanta. I, I moved back here, so I go to Super Bowl for a whole week, and Gary Vee was having an event. He had him and his brother started a sports agency, Vayner Sports. Mm -hmm. So we went to a bunch of events, and the Gary Vee event kept selling out. First of all, the tickets were like $250 a piece. So I was like, ooh, $500, what are we gonna do? Mm -hmm. So I was like, chance of me, Gary Vee, we're gonna do it, because um, we had, while we were in Atlanta, we ate, lived, breathe Gary V like he <laughs> we used to wake up in the morning like if you're tired you shouldn't be tired because Gary V says <laughs> you know he starts going over you're like alright I'm not tired anymore I'm good so we went to, um, the morning of I woke up very early and I was like oh, let me just check one more time prices of the tickets had went up but they had like a few left I instantly copped them me and my sister went in there and there, it was a line around the building to meet him, like around the, the venue to meet mm -hmm. him. We stood in the line. As we got to the front of the line, he had to go on stage for, mm -hmm. the, uh, for the panel. And so afterwards, we just stood there and we were like, I didn't come here for, anything, for nothing, like I'm gonna talk to him. And my whole thing was I wanted to pitch my financial literacy um, I was business. I was just gonna ask, what you asking? Yeah, I asked him about my business. I was like, hey, um, you guys just started Vayner Sports, and Vayner Sports is very entrepreneurial. Um, that's the whole thing. They want to build the next generation of athletes. Um, whereas, though, if you decide, Charles, that you're going to play basketball, and in your second year you're like, you know, I'm tired of this. I don't want to get traded anymore. You have already started your business plan. You've already started your blueprint. You've already gotten sponsors and things like that with Vayner Sports to where you can say, I'm going to take all the money that I've made thus far, and before I get injured and worn out and my wife leaves me because – I'm angry all the time. My basketball um, wife. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> was just here for the bag. <laughs> right. Before she leaves it, I'm going to pivot and do something else. So I was like, yo, you need this in your business. And I'm not sure if you guys have it, but, you know, I was shaking. I was very nervous. And he was like, you know what? I don't actually know if we have that, but here's my card. Reach out to AJ, who's his brother. Send him an email on Tuesday and tell him that you spoke to me and we'll go from there. And it was crazy because I reached out on Tuesday. I CC'd his brother and him. We had a few conversations, but my business just wasn't, um, it wasn't where it needed to be at the point. So that was like a learning curve for me because they asked me for so many different things. And I was like, oh. oh. <laughs> I like, I'll oh, give back to you. Oh, we in the big leagues now. Okay, yeah, yeah. this is what I need. So, you know, I humbly just bowed down and said, all right, so these are the things that I have to work did, did on. You, did you say, hey, keep that door open in case, you know, in the future? Yeah, I mean, the door is always going to be open. All you have to do is push it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was just a learning experience for me with all the things that they asked me and what they were looking for. And, you know, with me now starting my sports agency, it kind of gave me a bird's eye view as to what people are actually looking for, what I need to be looking for, and the standard that I need to hold my company at. So, 
it was it was a great experience. It was, it was very motivational. For yes, mm-hmm. it was amazing. It was amazing. And I met I met my other um, internet um, mentor there, David Meltzer, who is him and Gary V work very closely um, together. They kind of mentor each other. And through him, I have my mentor right now, um, David Moreno, and he's mentoring me through this sports mm-hmm. agent process. It's, it's a fun time. It's yeah. a fun time to be an agent. Yes, it definitely is. You've been on both sides of, you know, the fences as far as being an entrepreneur full-time mm-hmm. uh, and a working world full-time. What made you jump back into, you know, the working world after being an entrepreneur while still maintaining that passion like you? I'm coming back for, you know, it's an entrepreneurship full-time. <sighs> I went broke. <laughs> mm. That's just the reality of it. Mm-hmm. We, um, I had my financial education business, and then I had, um, we co-founded a, I co-founded with my sister and another um, colleague a marketing technology company. Mm-hmm. And we were traveling, we were like working with artists, um, we were working with restaurants, we were doing all types of stuff, but just the money wasn't coming. We learned some hard lessons, like we had a guy that we were working with and we were working for peanuts, basically. And then like our content gets used and he gets on Shark Tank and we're like, we never got paid. Like we just had a bunch of things happen to us, all learning experiences, but we went broke in Atlanta. And I was like, I have, I've been working since I was 14. I don't know what it feels like to be broke. And at that moment, I I realized what it felt like to be broke. And I was like, I can't do this. So I moved back home. I was like, I know where to make money. Um, Not home with my parents. I just moved back to D.C. Mm -hmm. And I did what what I knew how to do, which was bartend and hustle my way back. So I got my money back up. And then from that, I'm just building my agency. Okay. How difficult is it to navigate the sports industry being a minority and not only a minority and um, a woman minority mm-hmm. as well, uh, an African-American woman? So I can't really speak to um, front office conversations and like the respect in that um, remark because I haven't gotten there yet. But right now is an amazing time to be a woman in sports, to be a woman doing anything, to be a black woman doing anything. It's so much camaraderie and we're getting so much support. That's kind of why I decided to jump into it now, because I was like, it's now or never. Um, But as far as like players and things like that, players have been reaching out to me crazy. Um, I've actually been shocked at the amount of people that have reached out to me like, hey, I want you to represent me and the conversations that I've been having and the trust that people are willing to put in me as a, you know, African-American female. But it kind of just goes back to most of the basketball players are African-American males and they were raised by their mothers. So it's kind of like they have that mutual respect or that thought that, okay, you know, if she's anything like my mother, then maybe I'm in good hands. Mm -hmm. But I, the only thing that I've kind of ran into is as I'm going to games and stuff, scouting, the kids think I'm their age. So the level, I won't say of respect, but they when I say I'm a sports agent, they're looking at me like, really? You? Like, let me see your I should have bought hard a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? I should have <laughs> took that, that shot. They're just like looking at me like, I had a little boy. Actually, he was like, so what school, what school are you here representing? I was like, oh, wow. No, I was like, I'm... I'm grown, baby. He's like, what you mean? I was like, no, 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 I'm an agent. Like, I'm here. I'm trying to sign one of y'all. Like, (laughs) so I'm here for. But um, if maybe we have this conversation after the draft and after, you know, I go through those processes with talking to Mm -hmm. coaches and GMs, maybe Mm -hmm. then I can answer the question um, a little better. So we see, like, Rich Paul, you know what I'm saying? He's like a... You know, yeah, you know what I'm saying? He's like, that black, guy. yeah, he's the guy he's now. That guy. And you know, we talked a little bit about earlier about you attending your sports agent license. Mm-hmm. 
what what are some steps you know some somebody i know you know like charles even looking at like a feel like that where it's like yo i'm trying to i'm trying to get a sports agency what is in addition to that some some things that you got to do i don't think i'm the correct person to ask this because everything that i've ever done has been unconventional so what they teach you is that you need to go you need to get your degree you need to get a law degree then you need to go get an internship either at the players association or work with like a youth sports team you need to build your relationships in your community you need to um shadow Mm -hmm. or be an assistant to an agent in the area and i did none of those things she says screw the rules Uh well not even that i just (laughs) didn't have the opportunity to i mean i've reached out when i was in miami i literally printed out every agent and there's like a thousand agents in miami and i emailed all of them i got no responses at all which was heartbreaking to me because i was like wow nobody none of y'all nobody Mm -hmm. but it was like okay this is part of it you know at the time i was devastated and i was like i'm gonna take a break on this agent stuff and i'm just gonna focus on my financial business but um then i moved back to dc and i reached out to a few not that many still didn't get any responses so i'm the type of person where it's like Y'all not going to let me through the door. I'm going to kick through the door. I'm going to figure it out. But social media, like I said, has been a great help because I'm learning through meeting, you know, Gary Vee and David Meltzer. I got a mentor. And then through my financial education program, I've been meeting other people who have been like, you need to contact this person, reach out to this person. So my my path has been relationship building and just being in the right place at the right time and putting myself in the, the right rooms. Mm. But... Um, Charles is getting his master's. Whoop, whoop. <laughs> doing his pre-law program. Are you struggling right now? He's doing, he's doing, you know. Hopefully by the time Charles says, Dominique, I'm trying to jump into sports, I'll be like, you know what? You can come hang with me and we're going to do this together. Hey, uh, you know what I'm saying? I'm always open to that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, that's what, ultimately that's what I want to do. I'm like, a lot of people ask me, why haven't you tried to work for Rock Nation or something like that? And I'm like, well, right now, I prefer ownership. I prefer to own everything that I have. So if it's going to take me five years to sign that big player while I build my agency, while I get trainers in-house, while I found that, find that accountant to do that in-house, people that I actually trust and that, you know, we're all coming up together for one goal, mm-hmm. then I'd rather do that than to build somebody else's dream because mm-hmm. this is ultimately my end goal, my dream. So mm-hmm. I'd rather take the, the steps and take a little bit longer to build with people around me that I can – I can say I trust, and we all got it from the mud. It ain't how far you go. Yep. Or fast you go. But how fast you go? Yep. You're a lot right of people. How far you go? A lot of people don't understand that you know all it takes is one that one athlete that's that going to be that difference maker. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times um, with these athletes, they get a lot of false hope. How do you navigate you know keeping expectations and reality um, on the same level? Because an athlete might expect that huge contract or to make it to the NFL and not want to go to that amateur or semi-pro league, Mm -hmm. you know? So how do you, how do you navigate through that? I am very transparent. I'm very honest. Every conversation that I've had, um, the first thing people ask, who have you represented? You know, what's my plans? I I had somebody text me like, are we going to have a conversation about you flying me out and taking me to the big leagues? And I was like, well, first we have to introduce ourselves and we have to set goals and we have to kind of see what the expectations are and build a plan. So I'm brutally honest, which a lot of people tell me that that's going to be my downfall. But what I've realized is every athlete isn't for me and I'm not for most athletes. So uh, I'm willing to just take the athletes that are realistic. Um, I've had to have a few tough conversations 
which is why I haven't signed as many people as have reached out to me because I'm like, well, hey, you don't have any film. You don't really have any stats. You know, the reality is you can play for a professional team overseas, but getting to the G League, getting to the NBA, only 2% really go, you know? Mm -hmm. So I'm honest up front. In our introductory conversation, I'm like, what are your goals? Okay, what do you have? If I, if I Google you and I can't find any information, I'm like, hey, what's going on with that? And from your answers, I'll be like, realistically, this is, you know, I'm not, you can go and look for other people. Like, I don't even have people sign a contract right when we get off the phone. I'm like, I'll give you a week to think over the things that we talked about. Um, I'll give people homework. Like, my first couple of conversations, I was like, well, you don't have this and this and this. So let's, you do these things, and then we'll talk in two weeks, and then we'll see where you've gotten, and then if we should continue the conversation. Mm -hmm. So I'm just very honest, and if that means I won't sign a player because I'm too honest for them, that's cool. But too many people are selling kids' dreams these days, and when they get heartbroken, it's like, who's there to pick up the pieces? Mm -hmm. Nobody. So I don't want to be another person that adds to that. I want to be honest with you, and in that way, we're both clear on what to do moving forward. You're a well-rounded person in that, you know, you also come with a, a lot of accounting and financial background and knowledge. And, you know, when we talk in sports, we're talking big bag, mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Oh, like, big bag. Big bag. <laughs> big bag. Especially <laughs> now NBA is shut down. You know, I, I saw somebody tweeted, uh, uh, no play, no pay, make sure, I hope y'all saved, you know mm -hmm. what I'm saying? So when it, when it, <laughs> it was an NBA player who tweeted mm -hmm. that, I forget his name. But when it comes to, um, I said all that and I forgot my question. <laughs> when it comes to, you know, some the contracts and stuff like that. I heard you saying one in one other uh, podcast that I'm going somewhere with this. The first thing we meet somebody, we talking credit and money. Mm -hmm. You ask them what their credit score is without even first asking their names. Is that still true? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> but um, as far as dating, mm -hmm. that was the context of that conversation. That should be something that people um, ask about credit. But as far as my athletes um, yeah. go, that is something that will be required. Um, Agent Nicole Lynn, she did her documentary with ESPN and she said something that was amazing to me that she puts her players through like life skills to where she teaches them how to put on a tie. She teaches them one week how to send emails mm. and the difference between a CC and a BCC. And those things were things that I never even thought about. Here I am. I'm just like, we're going to go through your credit. And my whole philosophy is I'm going to teach you and your family and your crew. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, who's the five people that are close to you? How what important, are, Sonny, Crusher, how important is that, though, you know, credit and finances for an athlete? Oh, it's, it's so people are misled in the thought that you're an athlete, you get whatever you want. The reality is traditional banks don't necessarily even want to deal with athletes because of the fact that they don't have the financial education. Um, the contracts are so sporadic um, and they just have bad um, habits. So you might get an athlete that has a 400 credit score, but they have um, this million dollar contract and a bank has to sit there and they have to leverage like, okay, so clearly he doesn't know how to manage this money that we're trying to give him. He has a million dollars in collateral, so he's expecting this line of credit from mm -hmm. me, but what's the likelihood of him paying it back? And in the NFL, most of the contracts aren't even guaranteed. So if I'm an NFL player now, it's like, so if he gets injured or he gets cut, how much of that are we looking to get back? So a lot of times players have to go non-traditional routes or they have to pay straight cash. Like these houses that they're buying, guess what? Because your credit score is a 400, you're paying a little bit more. Now the realtor and everybody's going to work with you or you're not even thinking about the price because you're like, I got a big bag. I'm about to get this six bedroom house. But the reality is you just spent a couple 
10, 20,000 more dollars than you needed to if you would have had a good credit score. Not even to mention, now you wanna go into business, you wanna be an entrepreneur. They don't care that you're this person. They care to an extent, but at the same time too, you still have to have some type of financial background to for them to loan you this money. And then when you get out the league, now you're just a regular person. Now they don't care that you play with the Wizards or you play with the Warriors anymore. That doesn't matter. So you've went with this 400 credit score this whole time. Now you retire, you need to move into an apartment, you need to do this and you can't do it. Mm -hmm. Then what, you know? So um, there's even like players on practice squads for the NFL. I was reading a story for the NFL and, and MLB. When they get cut, they can't go and get another apartment. They're living out of hotels because their credit scores are so bad, they don't have enough money to rent another apartment or you know rent out an Airbnb for this amount of time because they're living contract to contract. And once you get cut, it's like, well, I only have, say, $15,000 to last me for the rest of the year if nobody else picks me up. Mm. So how do I manage all of this? So finances and credit, it's actually very important, but that those are the stories that they don't tell you. And most agencies kind of take care of it for you from what I hear, mm -hmm. but them taking care of it and you actually understanding what your credit is and how it works is something totally different. So that's the difference with me. I'm gonna sit you down, sit your family down, and we're gonna be like, okay, this is everybody's credit scores. This is what you wanna do. You wanna open a hair salon. You wanna start a t-shirt business. You wanna open a restaurant. Okay, it's gonna take this to make these things happen. So we're all gonna work together so that Mr. Athlete does not have to bankroll everybody. Everybody can kinda contribute to their own dreams. Now, I'm not saying that he can't help you along the way, but it, the, the success of your life is now not riding on this person's back. There's Talk about another misconception that um, a lot of player agents have, right? Um, a lot of times athletes expect for agents to handle their day-to-day -day lives, their personal lives, their bank account information, or their accounting information, their uh, negotiations within organizations. Their laundry. Then, <laughs> <They're laundry. laughs> so kind of talk about how important it is for an agent themselves to have a team surrounded by them, but also um, what service agents are supposed to function with the athlete. So honestly, since I'm so new in it, I am not sure where the line gets drawn because every agent that I have spoken to does everything that you just said. Mm -hmm. Literally, they take care of their lives. But like Dwayne Wade had an agent and he had a manager, um, Lisa, Lisa Joseph. She's actually Zion's um, agent. Mm -hmm. And I met her when I um, was in Miami and she kind of handled the day to day things so that the agent can handle the negotiation things. And then he had a lawyer that handled those other things. So I guess when you get to a certain caliber and you can pay all these people, you have different people allotted for everything. But somebody like me or like Nicole Lynn says, I mean, she's getting you a new apartment. She's reminding you of your girlfriend's birthday and sending out flowers. Like these are all things that, you know, your agent is supposed to do because ultimately your job is to play the sport that is going to pay us. <laughs> so we just need you to focus. Um, and as far as a team around me, Right now, me and, my, me and my sister, she's rocking with me the whole way. Um, I have some people that will do PR, marketing, and things like that. So I have some people in place. But, you know, once I sign my first player, it's kind of like it's me and you trying to figure out what makes your life easiest. Now, at a certain point, I guess maybe I'll draw a line. But the people that I've been scouting and talking to, they don't seem outrageous. Um, they're also not um, that... Island Iverson person who has been scouted since they were 
11 years mm-hmm. old and now they're expecting you to give them $1,500 for them to go to the club. And like, if you want me, you have to do these things. I'm not scouting people like that at this point in my career because I'm just starting. And I, I don't have the, I don't have those resources to give that type of player the things that they're expecting or that other agents are offering them. So um, I haven't run into those things mm-hmm. as yet, but let's talk in, in about a year and then we'll see, <laughs> we'll see how that, the answer to that um, has changed. What's your favorite color? Um, if she don't say red, it's not red. <laughs> it's actually black. My favorite color is black. Um, red is just the hair, and then I did my eyebrows, and now everybody knows me for that. Mm-hmm. And it kind of just suits me, so I go with it. But red is not my favorite color. How many siblings do you have? I have two brothers and one sister. When's the last time you been? We were in uh, Trinidad, Trinidad and Tobago. August. This past August, mm-hmm. Hennessy or tequila? Oh. Okay, so I'm old now, so um, I'm drinking more dark. Not necessarily Hennessy, more bourbon mm-hmm. than Hennessy. Hey. But I love tequila. <laughs> I, I worked at a tequila bar for three years, so tequila mm-hmm. is my love. I just can't do it all the time. I've been doing 1942 or Class A Azul. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't do it anyway. I, I, I tap out too early now. So I'm drinking, drinking bourbon, a little Angel's Envy, Jameson and Ginger. Mm. You know. What's the love life looking like? Ooh. I took it there. <laughs> I don't have one right now. I was in a relationship for about 10 years. Um, we With rec- one person? Uh-huh. We went to prom. We did the homecoming, all that. First apartment together, all that stuff. Um, nothing really. Like, we're still great friends. We talk all the time. It's just at a certain point you have to say, like, Okay, you're growing this way, I'm growing this way. And if we are to come back together and, you know, get married and do all those things, we got to grow for ourselves. We have to figure out some things as adults and Mm -hmm. separate people because all I knew was him. All he knew was me. And then we realized at a certain point, like, you're a little different now. I'm a little different now. And you go through that from being, what, 16 to now I'm 29. That's a long time, I, I think. So we met in 2006. So that's a long time, yeah. 2006 to 2020. Mm-hmm. You go through, you change as a person. So we just kind of changed. And before we got to that point of like resenting and hating each other, we was like, let's just take a pause for the calls and see if we come back together and it works great. If it doesn't, we'll always be friends. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, what's funny. I got a story about that. I don't know if I ever told you about that, what? about him giving me, giving me a call. So, <laughs> yeah, this guy. So, I so, see one question. No, don't hey. begin to have business. No, so, no, no, no. So, so it, was, it was real funny. It was real funny. So this is the time when we had we were in school. Okay. I knew I've known Dominique for some time. Thanks. And um, we had a project. We were working on a project together. Mm-hmm. So I think I called you or something like that mm-hmm. to answer a question. So I get a call back. It's from your number, mm-hmm. and it's him. And he's like, "Yo, who's this?" <laughs> oh I'm like, goodness. Charles. I don't think you ever told me this. Nah, it, but it was it. it I I knew what it was. Mm-hmm. So and I think he understood that as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we just had a conversation and there was no need to address it because it, it didn't get out of hand. Oh wow. Yeah, definitely. Well, as you guys see, he's very protective over his boot. Okay. Mm. <laughs> hey man, that's how that's how it should be. That is crazy. <laughs> I never knew that. Mm. Look, five years later, and stories are now coming out. You gonna make us send one of those? You gonna make us send one of those future texts? Yeah, that's right. I know the corona are here. I'm just trying to see if you, if you are. Right. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Dude. 
<laughs> before I ask, I got a final question before I ask that. What's one misconception or one thing that people get wrong about you? Mm. I don't know. Maybe that I have a um an attitude or like I'm like a spicy person just mm. from the way that I come <laughs> off. No, I don't think so. I think it I think it's I think people are scared to approach you. Yeah, uh, the, uh, I get that a lot. Yeah. But I'm like the funniest, goofiest, like laid back person mm -hmm. in the world. So um, I have had a lot of people in the past few years tell me that I'm very unapproachable, which is weird for me. I'm like, me of all people? But, but I, I think the reason why that is is because you know you, you're by yourself. You're kind of quiet. You're not really. I think you open up once you get to really know people. Yeah, yeah. Because in school, I didn't talk yeah. at all. Yeah, barely. at all. Yeah. Until like. Yeah, at all. <laughs> I might raise my hand and answer something, but I was like, by the time I got to Bowie, I was just over school because you just, like, um, focus trying to get out. Yeah, well, the thing is, in Trinidad, you do core classes. You don't, you don't have to do like prerequisites and all that. Yeah. What do you call it? Alternatives? Um, um, gen eds or no, yeah, no. well, even gen like or you didn't have to do gem or, or like philosophy or any of that. Like it was like straight to the point. So when I got to Bowie. I was a junior and I was in classes with freshmen because I didn't have any general education. So I had to like take all the nonsense classes and I'm just sitting there like, and these kids are crying over boyfriends. And I'm just like, at this point, I'm, I'm an adult. I have an apartment. Like, you know what I'm saying? Y'all talking about a dorm and your mother paying for your tuition. I'm paying for this out of pocket. Mm -hmm. So by the time I, I was just kind of like, and I wish I would have built more relationships and cultivated more because now I see you know, you see Bowie alumni, and they're like, oh, you came out in this class. Like, who do you know? And I'm like, nobody. Nobody. <laughs> no, nobody. Even going back for homecoming, I'm there, and I'm like, Mo, that's my sister. I'm like, Mo, you got to come with me because I don't know anybody. Like, I'm going I'm going as an alumni, but it's just me. But I, so. I, I think I've retired homecoming. I ain't been in my I, I, I ain't been in my school. Yeah. We had Roddy Rich in my school this year, but I ain't even what go. What school bro. did you go to? UMES. Hope so you might know my sister. She went to UMES. Oh, okay, what year did you graduate? I graduated 20. 10. Okay. No? 14. Well, I don't know, bro. She graduated 14. Okay, I graduated 14. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. She ran for like Mrs. UMES, Monique Stapleton. I probably, I'm bad with names. Show me okay. a picture and I, I guarantee you I know yeah, her. Yeah, you probably do know. She was like everything mm -hmm. on the campus. Mm -hmm. She was an RA and all that other craziness. Okay. But yeah. Dang, yeah I probably and know she that. makes me realize like I did not live the traditional college experience. That's okay. Because she has so many memories and like school really taught her a lot of life skills. Mm -hmm that when I was in Trinidad, I lived with my family. I was quiet in school too because I was the Yankee. So everything was, make the Yankee read, make the Yankee answer the question. How'd y'all do it in America? <laughs> so I was like the frog, the poker, mm -hmm. see what she says. <laughs> you know? So yeah. it was the same thing when I got to Bowie, I'm like, oh, now I'm the old person in the class and I'm just ready to go. So college for me was like, let me get out. Let me hurry mm -hmm. up and finish mm -hmm. versus, uh, oh, this is an experience mm -hmm. and I'm building lifelong friendships. It was like, no, my work friends were my friends. My friends I graduated from high school with, we were still all really close. We're still close to this day. So I was like, I don't, I don't need any mm -hmm. people in my life. Yeah. Do you feel like there were any skills that uh, HBCU education gave you over uh, another institution? So I always have that argument with people um, about HBCUs. I went to my, um, I grew up in Charles County. So, well, okay, let's go back. In Trinidad, it's predominantly black and um, Indian. Then I move here to Tennessee, it's all white. 
me, my family, and like one family in the area was the only black family. Then we moved to Philly, it's all black. Then I moved to Indian Head, and it's like everybody. It's like a whole mix-up. That's out there. Out yeah, there. yeah, that's where I live. So it's a whole mix-up, and that's where I grew up. So I've always had that like mixed experience, I think. And I think that people who grow up in predominantly black neighborhoods should not go to HBCUs. Mm-hmm. Um, because they come out and it's just, you don't know how to maneuver in a white world. Mm-hmm. It's a culture shock. It's a culture shock. And it shouldn't be. And it was never like that for me. Now, Bowie for me, one thing was, with growing up with Caribbean parents and us being immigrants, it was never be better than the white people or anything like that. It was like, be better than everybody because you're first generation, so you have to start the roots in this country and everybody's going to look at you different because you're not from here. So it was a different conversation versus some of my friends. Their family is preaching, you got to work ten times harder than the white man to get what you need. That wasn't the conversation I had. So when I went into Bowie and that is kind of like the rhetoric and the teaching at HBCU, I used to be like, so what's going to happen when you get out and you have to maneuver in a white world? Yeah, definitely. And I don't think that HBCUs set you up in a positive light. I think they show us the negative parts of it. Like, this is what they did to us. This is what they're going to do. They're going to target you instead of being like, okay, um, your white counterparts, they they don't like straightforward communication. They like to beat around the bush. So you have to learn how to be around the bush, you know? And it's not necessarily a bad thing, but this is how they were raised. This is how you were raised. Whereas people that went to other schools, like my friend, he went to Ohio, and he is now, he can run with the best of them because he's grown up in an African-American house where his family has taught him the culture, but he went to a white school, so he knows their culture. And he's like Mr. Bear Pong mm-hmm. King and everything. Mm-hmm. like. And he can, you know, now he's like excelling in life because he's had those skills and he's had to live around them and understand white culture. So people get upset with me for saying that, but that's just my perspective. Mm-hmm. We're running short with time, but I want you to answer this real quick. Mm-hmm. Uh, probably going to have you write a whole blog about this so we can have or have a conversation about this. But we speak to a lot of entrepreneurs here on this platform, mm-hmm. like yourself. So just speak about, you know, uh, business. What kind of uh, credit line once you have to obtain business credit or, you know, saying like that, that whole notion of uh, or even building business credit? So um, misconception is that business credit and personal credit are the same thing. There are two totally different things. And although starting out, you should have good credit to obtain business credit, it will help you. A 700 or more, or even a 650 or more, you can get hard money loans, which they have higher interest rates, but you will get approved faster than a traditional bank loan um, for your business. But building business credit is really just establishing your business as a um, really legal. So you need to have your LLC. You need to have a website. You need to have a separate phone number. I even read the other day that you should have a 1-800 number for your business. You need to have it registered with the white pages. And people are like, nobody uses the white pages. But these companies, when they Google you, they need to see that this is registered somewhere that holds weight, not just Instagram or Facebook. But you need a social media platform for um, your business. And then you need to register with Duns and Bradstreet. And that is a whole separate credit um, reporting agency for business credit. Equifax has one, too, and I believe Experian has one. But Duns & Bradstreet is the biggest one. Um, So once you register with them, what you should do is 
start getting things from like Staples and Best Buy, register for a business account with them. And even um, Quill is a company. And 90% of the time, like us, if, you know, if you're start, if you're business is registered for the podcast right we're doing all podcasts you don't necessarily need a bunch of paper Mm -hmm. and water and things like that but you're gonna have to spend a little money to get the things you need so Mm -hmm. go to quill order i'll be keeping all them receipts order four hundred dollars worth of stuff pay it off early or on time and that will start building your credit then from there you can go to staples because Staples, I don't think they let you open a business account mm-hmm. off the whim. Like, you have to have had some type of business credit before you can do that. Mm-hmm. So then you move on to Staples and you order, you open another line of credit and businesses like Staples. Mm-hmm. Then um, from there, your bank will start letting you get a business credit card. Now, when we were in Atlanta, we opened our business account using our EIN number with our LLC, and we started depositing money in there and having separate transactions, but they would not give us a business credit card because they wanted our personal credit to guarantee it. And at that time, we didn't have the personal credit for it, but they were going to let us get a secured card. The thing with business secured cards is you have to have at least $1,000 to put up to open that secured business card. So a lot of startups don't even have that money. So it's like, I tell people start, take little and live long. Mm-hmm. You know, go through the steps. Um, it's It'll take you like six to eight months to really establish a decent business profile. Um, and then if you've been banking with, like I'm with Navy Federal. So I've been banking with Navy Federal for all my life. And then my business credit gets at a mid range. Navy Federal is more willing to work with me because I have other accounts with them. And now I'm starting my business and they're looking at it like she's gonna need some money at some point. And then that's more money for us. So I tell people stick with the bank that you've been with, go through the steps to register your business and make sure it's legitimate and all the facets I just spoke about. And then spend money where you don't necessarily need to, you know, even like Vista print places mm-hmm. like that. I mean, you, you might need some of that stuff, but you might not just spend the money, build your business um, credit and then get the things that you actually need as far as loans and things like that. She said all that for free. <laughs> <laughs> for free. That's our problem. I give out too much for free. Dang. Hey, listen, man. We, we enjoyed this conversation. Yes. I had I, a great time. I, 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 I learned a lot for myself. I had a great time. That last part, you got, you got to have to expound on that. And then, you know what I'm saying? Another time. Y'all can call me back anytime. Appreciate Appreciate that. Appreciate I'm going to hold you to it. Mm-hmm. I'll be here. All right. <laughs> All right, now. Dominique Stapleton of the Building Stuck Middle Podcast. Appreciate you coming and kicking it with us. Thank you, thank you, thank if you. If you enjoyed what me. you heard and watched, hit up that subscribe button and the ringer get updates every time we drop something new. So, Charles, bro, what you got going on today, man? Hey, man, we making moves out here. Shout out to, uh, you know, our good friend, you know, Kelly, Kelly Nash. What's going on? Kelly? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, you know what, what I'm saying? saying? Yeah, yeah. We out mm-hmm. here. We mm-hmm. out here doing that, uh, you know, schooling. Schooling. Getting the bag. Getting the bag. Getting the bag. You know what I'm saying? Hanging out. Hanging out. Hey, man. Don't be hanging out too much, bro. It's allowed. It's that crow cry here, bro. You know what I'm saying? I hope you got your toilet. Why are people buying toilet tissue? You know, I think... (laughs) (laughs) Like, we got to buy vitamins and... No, my mother told me that she heard on the news somewhere that they burned a big shipment of toilet paper that was coming from China. So... In a few months, there might be a shortage and prices might go up. That's just okay. what that's what she told me. I went and bought a little bit see, more that's toilet a few paper. Months. See, that's why you I'm gotta get the two ply. You know. Get the two ply. Use three sheets. <laughs> 
I don't know what so you've been you doing, bro. You I don't know what you've been doing. You counting? Like, Three sheets, two a, plot. That's a, a little bit much to be counting toilet paper now. <laughs> you said there's going to be a shortage. I just want to make sure I'm able to wipe my butt. Well, that's what I'm saying. That's why everybody's buying a lot now. So, I mean, the shortage probably won't come till like May or something like that. But that's you know. hot. That's when it's hot. You're going to have hot. Ooh. You know what? Ooh. We need to be with <laughs> I don't know what you been doing. <laughs> you probably out here spreading that railroad. Kuro kuro. Hey man, y'all stay safe. Wash your hands. Wash your Appreciate hands. you coming through in the midst of all this. You know what I'm saying? People finding their you know quarantine bay and all that mm-hmm. stuff. But, quarantine you know, bay. <laughs> it's real out here. Fam. That's a thing. Listen, stuck in the podcast. Hit that mm. uh, SITM if you want to shop merch backslash store. SRTMPodcast.com If you want to write a blog Backslash blog Dominique about to write one I just put it on her lap You know what I'm saying She mm-hmm. don't even know it But uh, yeah This is Talking Middle Podcast I'm Reflex And I'm Sir Charles And we out Thank you for listening To this week's episode Let us know what you think And tell other people About us on social media Using the hashtag SITMPodcast If you want to find out more about Stuck in the Middle, visit our website, sitmpodcast.com to browse our blog section. To tell us your story, send us an email at sitmpodcast at gmail.com. Till next time, be safe.